amazing journey as we're just studying again Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And so much that Paul is just breaking down here in this book. It's, again, one of the masterpieces, if not the masterpiece of the New Testament. The content that's in there. Paul is writing to a mature church. Uh, he's not writing to correct any uh, crazy things that are going on in the church, but more to just strengthen them. And as he writes to them, we see that Paul is going to continue building on the thought that he presented in chapter 3. Which is, again, he's, he's writing to a people group who were believers. They were Christians, but they were a mixture of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Meaning not of the Jewish religion, right, or the Jewish uh, nation. And so they believed in God, they believed in Jesus, but yet the, the, the Jewish people were, were emphasizing works apart from the relationship with Christ. They were saying, all right, it's good that you believed in Jesus, it's good that you were born again, but you also have to keep the law of Moses. You also, you also have to get circumcised or else you're not right with God. And so Paul is writing to them to, to address these things. And, he's, and the, the theme of the book of Romans is hey, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from works. And so uh, we see that that circumcision and, and keeping of the law does not justify a person. And it never has. And Paul is, is uh, desiring to get this, this, this message across before he can go on and just pour on them all this doctrinal truth. And so... He says there in chapter 3, verse 31, if you want to read it, it says, he says, do we make the law irrelevant now because, because of this justification through faith? He says, no way. Right? Again, as he's writing to the Gentile believers, the Jewish believers, he's breaking down, he's breaking down every single wall that they had they were, that they were trusting on apart from just faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so Paul has thoroughly presented every single person, every man guilty before God and he's left them with no resource but to trust God by faith. It's like, all right, man, it's like when you come to the Lord and, and, and we're trusting God, and we're like, Lord, I've been good this week. Lord, I've been doing my prayers. Lord, I've been reading. Lord, I've been going to church. Right? And it's like we, we think that these things are going to justify us before God. And Paul just slowly just taking those things out of the pocket. Look, you don't have this no more. You don't have that no more. Uh, you have nothing to give to God you know, to, present, to present yourself justified. And now that he has them there, he's going to continue to just, again, to build on that thought. And so he moves on to confirm this very principle and now through Abraham, which is their, their, their patriarch, right? The father of the Jewish nation now, Abraham. And he's going to use Abraham and also David to remove the last stronghold of the Jewish mind, right? Because they're trusting in Abraham's example of obedience and the circumcision. And so he says this in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? He says, for if Abraham was justified by works, meaning that which he did, his obedience to God, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. And verse 3 says, for what does the scripture say? It says that Abraham believed God and, and that was accounted to him for righteousness. And stopping right there. So again, Paul is saying, look, Abraham was justified, but he was justified apart from what he did. Right? He was justified apart from the circumcision, apart from being the father of the Jewish nation. He was justified on the sole fact that he believed in God. And so Paul points to the father of the Jewish nation, right, Abraham, and, and to the, the father of the Jewish people because they took such pride in being children of Abraham. And they thought that, that just that alone was going to get them saved. Hey, we're, we're descendants of Abraham, right? We're, 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 we're Jews, right? The law was given to us. Circumcision was given to us. And so they were trusting on these worldly, earthly things to justify him before God. And Paul says, hey, if Abraham was justified by his works, then he has something to boast about. He has something to brag about. 
Why? Because he did so much, right? He's such a huge historical figure. Even today, I mean, Abraham is, is, is a huge historic, historical figure in the three main religions of the world. Christianity, uh, Islam, and Judaism, right? And so he's saying, man, if Abraham was justified by who he was and what he did, then, man, yeah, he has something to brag about before men, but not before God. And so he's saying, if justification, meaning being justified before the eyes of God, if justification came through our obedience and our works or our deeds for God, he says Abraham would, would have a lot to brag about. But that bragging meant nothing to God, right? It was Abraham who was given the covenant by God of circumcision, right? And the circumcision was the sign of this covenant or this promise to Abraham. And so we also know that through Abraham, his grandson, uh, Jacob, came the 12 tribes of Israel and eventually the whole Jewish nation. But all those works did nothing for the justifying of Abraham before God. Even though he could do, he was all these things and he did all these great things, it did nothing for his salvation. It did nothing for his soul. Yeah, I made him a prominent figure and he is a prominent figure, but before God got to him, that stuff doesn't matter, right? You're still sinful and there's nothing that, that we can do in our flesh as far as works and deeds in order to make God uh, look at us as righteous. And that's the point that Paul is trying to get across. He said, look, man, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing all these deeds, all these works. They're awesome, but they do nothing for your salvation, right? And so... Uh, we, we know that, that all those works that, that Abraham did, I mean, even if his works could justify him before God, Abraham also made a lot of mistakes. And so on that same token, if someone is trying to be justified by what they do for God, right? I go to church, I give money, I serve, I do the homeless thing, I whatever, right? You still do a lot of bad things and those things are never going to outweigh the good. Even in Abraham's case, Abraham disobeyed God uh, the first time that God called him to, to, leave, his, to leave his homeland. Yeah, God said, all right, leave your family, leave your homeland, and go to a place which I'm, which, which I'm going to call you to. And what he does is that he takes his father along, right? Eventually, he ends up being at this place for more than 14 years. Because he dis disobeyed God, God calls him to go again, leave his homeland, just him and his wife. And he takes his, uh, his nephew Lot with him again. So he, he disobeyed a second time. And then later on, Abraham doubted God's provision in a time of famine there in the land. And he journeyed to Egypt. Where he lied about his wife Sarah. Remember, as he went to Egypt, he told he told his wife Sarah, "Right, you're gonna go, and we're gonna tell everyone that you're my sister because you're so beautiful that they're gonna kill me just to marry you." And so, man, they go to Egypt. He tells his wife to lie about the relationship. He says, "All right, tell everyone you're my sister." And they're living in Egypt and a lie, right? And then eventually they, they get found out, and now he has to he has to go back to his own homeland with this tell between his legs, like, "Oh man, I messed up," right? Later on, even uh, uh, Abraham doubted. The promises of God and giving him a son in his old age and, and he thought right we're gonna help God out right and so him and his wife Sarah they, they ended up uh, conceiving a child through his maidservant and so what I'm trying to say is that look even if a person could be justified by their good works like Abraham as they just held Abraham to this highest esteem right hey our father Abraham he still did a lot of bad things right and, and, and even if a person could be justified for their good works then their their, their, their bad deeds would, would kind of just wipe all that out because you'll never be able to find that balance right and that's what paul is trying to get across that's what he's trying to 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 to, to, to tell them right like look these things that you're trusting in circumcision the keeping of the law all these religious rituals and traditions is they do nothing for your right standing in god they're good things they're not necessarily simple things but they do nothing for your right standing in god and so the question is then how then was abraham made righteous 
The Bible calls Abraham a righteous man. So then how was Abraham made righteous if it wasn't by uh, him birthing the Jewish nation? If it wasn't by him uh, 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 keeping that tradition of circumcision and, and, that, and that custom? If it wasn't by him trusting God, then how was Abraham made righteous? Paul says this again in, uh, in those verses. He says, for Abraham believed God and that was accounted to him for righteousness. And so it was Abraham's belief in God and in God's promises that made him righteous or that made him, that put him in a right standing before the Lord. And Paul quotes from the book of Genesis there in Genesis 15, 1 through 6. It says this, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And it says, But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir, meaning your own son. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if, you're, if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And verse verses in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And so it was Abraham's belief in God that put him in a right standing before before God not anything else that he can do outwardly not any deeds or works or or traditions but it was his simple belief in God that put him in a right standing before God right and so we see that that that, that Paul says look his belief in God uh, accounted it to himself as righteousness interesting that that phrase uh, it was accounted in the Greek word it's the Greek word logizomai uh, which means to reckon or to consider as or to pass into one's account. This word or this phrase to reckon is found 11 times just in this chapter, just in chapter 4 alone. It's found 19 times in the whole book of Romans and it's found 41 times in the whole New Testament. And Paul is saying Abraham's belief, Abraham's belief, right, was accounted to him, was logizomai, was accounted to him as righteousness. And, and, and this word, this phrase was accounted to Right? It, it, it gives the, the it gives the, the idea of, of someone depositing money into your bank account. I mean, hey, it's already yours. Right? When I went last month to go deposit my, my, my rent into my, my landlord's bank account, you know, I can't go deposit it, walk out and make, oh, you know what? Actually, I need that money. I need it back. You know, the bank tellers are going to say, you know what? You have to get this guy's permission. I can't do it. It's in his account already. I can't do anything about it. I can't take it out. You can't take it out. It's his. It belongs to him. And so the Bible says that because of Abraham's belief, that righteousness was now deposited into his account. And it's something that no one could take away from him. Right? And so we see that salvation is by faith. That's Paul's point. That's what he's trying to get across. It's by faith. Right? It always has been by faith. And even Abraham was saved by his faith, by his belief in God's promises. Now, the question for us is, what promise of God are we saved by? Right? If Abraham was saved by faith, if Abraham was saved by believing God's promises, then what are we saved by? And man, we're, we're saved by that same believing faith, right? And by believing God's promises as well. Ones like in John 3, 16, where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then it says, For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but that through Him we might be saved. Jesus later on would say, and in John eleven twenty five, He would say, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me, though he may die and shall live, He says, whoever lives lives and believes in me shall never die he says do you believe this 
And then in John 14, 6, when, when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. Right? And so we're saved in our belief of God's promises, just like Abraham was saved in his belief of God's promises. It's always been by, by faith since the very beginning. So now, to all eternity, salvation is going to be by faith alone, through grace alone, apart from any works, apart from anything that you can do for God to make you right in the eyes of God. It's always by grace, through faith. And so he goes on to say there in verse 4, he says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. And verse 5 says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And so again, Paul is drilling this idea across it because they, they have this tradition so ingrained in them through generations and generations and generations. They have this tradition of, look, we have to do, do, do for God or else we're not in right standing with God. Right? We have to do works. We have to be good. We have to keep the law. We have to do, do circumcision. Right? Continue doing the, the, the act of circumcision in order to be, to be accepted by God because it was so ingrained in them. Paul is just, again, drilling this idea, right? Drilling this, this truth that it's by grace alone. And he says, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. And so Paul gives us now the difference between grace and works. Grace in which we stand and we, and we live and, and, and works by which we try to please God. Now, grace has to do with receiving the free gift given by God. But works has to do with earning our merit before God, right? If, man, I was working on all day yesterday and if I go over there and, 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 and I work and at the end of the day, you know, they pay me, which they did, right? What that payment wasn't a gift. It was something that I earned because I was there for like 10 hours working. But if I just show up and the guy's like, oh, here you go, man, take this money. I didn't do anything. I know exactly, it's a gift of grace. That's what salvation is. It's a gift of grace. And this is the, 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 the truth that Paul is trying to get across. Right? Now for us in our, our, in our relationship with the Lord, if we based our righteousness on our performance and good works, then that righteousness that we receive and that's imputed by God is now no longer a free gift of grace. But it's like if God is indebted to us, it's like, all right, well, look, Angel's been good all week. He hasn't cussed. He's been praying every day. You know, he's been reading his Bible. He hasn't flipped out on anyone on the freeway, road rate. So look, I'm going to bless him with whatever. Now it's like, it's not a free gift of God anymore. Now all of a sudden, it's like, I'm making God indebted to me because I've been good, right? Quote, unquote. And so Paul's saying, hey, look, it's not about this, this, uh, this works, right? It's not about what you, what you can do for God. Salvation is, is this free gift of grace given by God. And it's important to, 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 to ingrain this now in our minds as well. Because in, in a works thinking type of relationship with the Lord, right? If we walk with the Lord with that mentality or, 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 or with that theology thinking alright I have to be good or else God won't bless me or I have to be good or else God's going to be far from me or I have to be good or else God doesn't hear me man so many people walk around condemned with that ideology right with that, with that mindset man why well, I've been messing up so I don't think God's going to hear me or I don't think God is pleased with me and so in this works thinking mentality you know we oft, it often leads us to uh, it, it leads us to rate our performance and our standing with God based on how our week went, how our day went, how the month has been, how whole all year has been. You think, all right, I was good today, I didn't sin, so God is happy with me and He's gonna bless me. Or I've been messing up, so God's gonna punish me. And that's not God. Right? That's not God. The Bible tells us that the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, now He imputes the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. Meaning, hey man, it doesn't matter what you've done. 
God sees you for the righteousness of Christ. But Lord, I've been messing up all week and it's amen, the righteousness of Christ. But Lord, you know how my heart I've been, he says, hey, the righteousness of Christ. It's not something that he, he, he puts into your account when you're good and then you mess up and he takes back out and then when you're good again, he gives it back to you. No, it's a once, it's a once deal. That's it, one time deal. He sees us now for the righteousness of Christ apart from our works and apart from our good performance or our, our bad performance. Right? And, 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 but sometimes again, we get into this trap, we fall into this trap of, of walking with the Lord on this big, on this workspace performance. And it's a horrible way to walk with the Lord. It's a horrible way to live. If you're a believer, it's a horrible way to, 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 to live with the Lord. Because it leads to discouragement in our walks. I mean, I do that. If, if I'm rating my, my, my walk with the Lord, my relationship with God based on my performance, I'm super discouraged. I'm, sim- I'm a sinful man. I fall short every single day. Every single day. Every single day before I lay my head to rest, I'm like, Lord, forgive me for this, this, that, and the other. And throughout the day, Lord, forgive me because this is at the other. All right, Lord, forgive me because I fit out my wife. Lord, forgive me because these bad thoughts. Lord, whatever. You fill in the blank. Right? But if I rated my, my walk with the Lord, my relationship with the Lord, how much God loves me based on my performance, I'd be miserable. All right? I mean, I'd, I'd check out because it would be too hard. It would be too hard. How do you please a God who is perfect and holy and just and right when I'm not, when I'm, all, I'm the complete opposite of all these things? Right? And so Paul says, hey, to him who believes on God, who justifies the ungodly. That's the point. That we believe in God who justifies the ungodly. How many ungodly people are here today? Man, all, every single one of us. So we place our faith in God who justifies the ungodly. Right? And He justifies us uh, not because we're ungodly, but despite our ungodliness. Right? We're all ungodly. God's not going to justify us based on that. But He's going to justify us despite our ungodliness. Meaning despite our shortcomings. And so Paul isn't making an excuse for our sins or he's not making an excuse for our, our ungodliness. But instead he's saying, look man, God's going to bless us. God's going to justify us. God's going to going to impute righteousness unto you if you believe in Him despite anything else, despite all your shortcomings. And that's the beautiful uh, news of salvation. That's the beautiful truth of the Bible. Right? That's not dependent on us, but it's dependent, it's dependent on Him. Right? And so it goes on to say there in verse 6, as Paul's again just getting this point across now. He says... Just as David also was described, uh, just as, as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And he says in verse 7, according to David, he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And he says in verse 9, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? Or upon the uncircumcised also. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. And so we see that the principle for approaching God is the same for everyone. Faith. Belief. Right? For the New Testament believer, it's faith. For the Old Testament believer, uh, before the law was given, like Abraham, it was faith. For the Old Testament believer, after the law was given, it was still faith. Right? It was never about works. It was never about circumcision. It was never about traditions. It was never about keeping the law. The law was given to us. The, the law was given to, really to, to, the, to the Jewish nation. It was given to all of us, not as a standard, right? You better keep all these or else God's going to be mad at you. But it's a measuring tape. And it shows us how far, how far we've fallen short. If the law is up here, I 
stand up next to him, I'm like, oh man, I fell short of the law. Come the next day, oh man, I'm still falling short of the law. The, the, the point of the law was not to perfect us, but it was to, to point us to the one who can perfect us. Right? The law only shows our shortcomings. The law says, hey, thou shalt not steal. It shows me I'm a thief. The law says, hey, thou shalt not lie. It shows me I'm a liar. The law says, hey, thou shalt not murder. It shows me that I've committed murder in my heart by, by having hatred for another individual, like Jesus said. Right? So the law was never meant to, to perfect us, but it was meant to, to point us to the one who can, which is Christ. And so Paul, again, as he's writing to, to, to the Jewish reader now, you know, and, and he says, hey, to the Jewish person listening to Paul's argument, man, they would have lost that at this point. Right? They could argue that Abraham was justified by belief in God's promises because the law was not yet given. They're like, all right, well, it says that about Abraham that he was justified because he believed God, but he didn't have the law yet. But once the law came, then people were justified through the law, the Jewish believer could argue. Right? But Paul now is going to use King David as an example of justification by faith alone, through the grace of God. Right? Because David came after the law was already given, and David sinned. But yet David wrote, hey man, how blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Man, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And so Paul quotes David from Psalm 32. Now, David knew firsthand the blessedness of being forgiven by God while being deserving of death. David knew firsthand that, that the, the, the beauty and the forgiveness of God. When you know that you deserve death, when you know that you deserve punishment, when you know that you deserve to be kicked off to the curb and to the wayside and to be forgotten, David knew from first-hand experience the, the, the blessedness of just being forgiven by God Almighty. He knew it. Now, if righteousness was based on works, David would be condemned. We don't know exactly when, uh, when Psalm 32 was written, but we do know about David's life uh, that David was... You know, he was a guilty man before the Lord. He was guilty of murder. He was guilty of adultery. He was guilty of covetousness. He was guilty of pride. He was guilty of lying. Uh, the law said that David was to be stoned. But God said David was forgiven. And so David writes, man, how blessed. Oh, how happy is a man whose lawless sins are forgiven. Now, this is after the law, after the law was already given. And yet David was able to find that forgiveness in the eyes of God. Not through his keeping of the law, because he had already broken all the law. But by his belief in God, who justifies the ungodly, like Paul would say. And so, to this blessedness, Paul says, to this blessedness, so does this experience of just feeling the, the forgiveness of God, does it come only upon the circumcised, or the Jews, or, or only or upon the uncircumcised also, that is the Gentile people, the rest of the world, like us. And so Paul's addressing now, uh, a group of, of believers there in their church at Rome who were placing this strong emphasis uh, on physical circumcision in order to be made righteous by God. He's writing to them now. He's addressing them. He's like, all right, look, Abraham was justified. David was justified. He experienced that, 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 that blessedness, you know, that the happiness of, of, of knowing that he's forgiven by God. But is this for the, for the circumcised only or also for the, for the uncircumcised? He showed them that Abraham was was accounted as righteous before circumcision, right before the law was even given. I mean, he hadn't even received the, 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 the covenant of circumcision until like 14 years afterward. And so Paul's going to continue to just again now drill this truth into them. He says this in verse 10, he says, How then was it accounted? How was righteousness accounted? 
It says, while he was circumcised or uncircumcised. He says, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received a sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised. That righteousness may be imputed to them also, Paul says. And then verse 12, he says, And the father of the circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham, Abraham had while still uncircumcised. I know that word comes up a lot. Circumcision, uncircumcision. Now know that when Paul uses that word, he's referring to the Jewish nation and the non-Jewish nation. Right? Because they were putting such a strong emphasis on the physical act of circumcision to make them righteous before God. Paul saying, look man, Abraham was made righteous before he was even circumcised. 14 years before he was even made righteous. And some 400 years before the law was even given. Right? And so Paul is getting this point across that, hey, it's by faith. It's always been by faith. And so now he points to Abraham, who's considered as the father of faith and the father of, of the Jewish nation. Now, when Paul writes, he says, hey, our father Abraham. Now this phrase, our father Abraham, was a phrase that the Jews used to describe their roots. Right? They'll say, oh, well, our father Abraham said this, or our father Abraham left us this, or it's because of our father Abraham. Right? They took such pride in being of the Jewish nation. They, they took such pride in being you know, of the descendants of Abraham. So much so that they would equate it to salvation. And we're saved because we're of our father Abraham. We're saved because we're of this lineage. Right? We're saved because we're of this family. Right? And so what Paul is doing, again, as he's writing, he says that it was through faith. Right? It was through Abraham's faith. It wasn't through his circumcision. It wasn't through his obedience. But it was through his faith that he was made righteous. He says, and now it's through faith, that same faith that Abraham, Abraham had, is, is through our faith now in the Lord Jesus that we're made righteous. He gets his point across also in the book of Galatians as he's writing to the church there at Galatia. And he says this in Galatians 3, 3, 6. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, he says, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so when those who are of faith are blessed with believing with and so sorry, and so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And so Paul was again trying to get that point across that it was more important to have the faith of Abraham rather than the circumcision of Abraham. He's saying, look, man, you guys are trying to be justified by, by keeping you know, the, the circumcision which was given to Abraham by God, but yet you're neglecting the faith that Abraham, Abraham had. And faith is a key. He says, it's not works. It's not deeds. It's not keeping the law. He says, it's faith. You guys are putting your focus on, on, on the wrong thing. He says, Abraham was justified by faith. And so are we, Paul would say. In verse 13, he says, for the promise... That he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. He says, but it was through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. He says, but because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So again, getting the point across, he says, look, the emphasis is on faith. The faith that Abraham had to believe God. It wasn't on his righteous keeping of the law. It wasn't on his righteous obedience to God. Because he disobeyed God multiple times. He fell short. Right? If he was to be justified by his works, man, 
you would have been gone. You would have been condemned. So Paul says it wasn't it wasn't of that, it was of his faith. It was because of his faith. It's because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Meaning, hey, look, the law was there. And the law was pointing out his sins. He said, for us too, the law is there and the law points out our sins. There's a speed limit right here that says, I think like 15 or 20 miles per hour. If I drive 40, the sign's there. So I'm guilty because the sign is there, I know. So there is transgression because the law is there. Is what Paul's saying. But there's no sign that I'm driving like 50 or 80 miles per hour. I can't get pulled over and say, hey, you were speeding. Well, there's no speed limit posted. There's no law, therefore I'm not guilty. But Paul's saying, look, there is a law. And because there's a law, it shows, it shows us our, our, our guiltiness before the Lord. And so he says this, now in verse 13 it says, sorry, verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that I might be according to grace. So that the promise might be shared to all the seed. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith in Abraham. He says, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who, who he believed. That is God. Who gives life to the dead. And calls those things which do not exist as though they did. He says, who contrary to hope and hope believed. So that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. He says, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, he says, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Paul saying, man, this justification by grace and through faith, apart from anything that you can do or not do. He says, it's not by keeping the law, because the law shows us our transgression. God's promise to Abraham was that he would make him a father of many nations. Back in the book of Genesis. God spoke to Abraham, and though Abraham was an old man, they had never had any kids, him and Sarah. His name was called Abram, meaning father of many. And God called him, he says, all right, I'm going to change your name from father of many to father of nations, Abraham. So just imagine Abraham going around, hey, all right, you guys, God changed my name. My name is no longer father of many, but now my name is father of nations. How many kids do you have? None. How old are you? Almost 100. How old is your wife? Almost 100. Can she still have kids? No. But I'm believing God. And that's the whole point. That God, that Abraham's faith and belief in God's promises is what gave him a righteous standing before the Lord. For all eternity. Wasn't anything that he could do or not do. And again, that's the point that Paul is trying to get across. By faith. By faith. Now, then he says this. In verse 23, he says, Now, it wasn't written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, that righteousness. But also for us. He says, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raises up Jesus our Lord from the dead. He says, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our transgression. And so he says, it wasn't written just for his sake alone, but, all, but for us also. Now keep in mind that Abraham wasn't the one who wrote the book of Genesis. right? But it was written by Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of, uh, of, of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which is known as the Torah to the Jews. And Paul says, look, it wasn't written for Abraham's sake. It wasn't written for the sake of the Jewish people. But he says, it was written for our sakes also. And so God, as he inspired Moses to record for the people God's words to Abraham, he was setting as an example for all of us. This example that a salvation comes by faith 
alone. Right? He's saying that this righteousness is imputed to us who believe. It's the faith. It's the believe in God. It's the believe in God's promises. Now the physical res resurrection of Christ, he says, from the dead, is, is what saves us. That belief in the resurrection of the dead. Of Christ from the dead. It says, it shall be imputed to us who believe. Believe in what? It says, believe in Him who raises up, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Notice that, that Paul's using of words, right? It's very specific. It doesn't say that righteousness is imputed to us who believe in God's goodness, even though God is good. Notice that Paul doesn't say righteousness is imputed to us who believe that Jesus is God, even though Jesus is God. Notice that it doesn't say that righteousness is imputed to us who believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that the Bible is an inspired word of, God, word of God even though all those things are true. But Paul says that righteousness is imputed to the person who believes that God raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. That's the gospel. And so Paul saying, look, salvation comes... By one way, by one message, and that is the message of the gospel, or the good news, which is this. That man is sinful, because man is sinful, is sinful, there's a huge gap in between man and God that we can never reach in of ourselves. And so, God became a man, Jesus Christ, took on a bodily form, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, an innocent man, took our place on the cross, the punishment that we deserve, Every single law that you've broken, every single law that's ever, that's ever been broken by, by mankind, Jesus took it upon Himself. God raised Him from the dead on the third day. Because He raised Him from the dead, now we can be made justified. Because now Jesus has victory over death and sin. He says that is a message that saves. If you place your faith on anything else other than that, you're not saved, Paul would say. And I'm just saying what Paul's saying. If you place your faith in the fact that you call yourself a Christian, or you go to church, or you do good deeds, or you read your Bible, or you pray for others, or you do good uh, humanitarian work in, in a poor country. Paul saying, hey man, that stuff doesn't save you. It's good stuff, but it's just like putting your faith in the law or in circumcision. He says, anything other than the gospel, anything other than, than, than Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and being raised from the dead, he says, you're not saved. Right? He says, but on that sec on, on the other side of that token, man, if you just simply place your faith in Jesus Christ and on what he did on the cross for our sins, he says, Amen. Righteousness is imputed now to you also. Just like to Abraham, just like to anyone else who would just come and simply believe. That's it. Apart from the law, apart from anything you can do, apart from your shortcomings, apart from uh, uh, how much you failed or how much you've succeeded in life, he says, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in this message of the gospel alone. And he says this in, verse, in chapter 5. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Man, Paul's just using the most beautiful play on words. He says, Because now we have been justified by faith, that word justified, again, you break it down, it means God looks at you just as if you had never sinned. Imagine that. Innocent. No matter, even if, if you have sinned, if you place your faith in Jesus, God looks at you now just as if you had never sinned. That's beautiful. To the sinner, that's good news. 
If you think that you're righteous enough to present yourself before God, then all right, man. It's probably not good news for you because you think you're good enough to come before the Lord. But to the person who recognizes, man, I messed up. Man, I fall short. Man, I need God's help. It's good news. And Paul says, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. Peace with God. Really, that's what everyone is looking for. Peace with God. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in the hearts of men so that we, we would seek Him. Right? You feel restless. You feel anxious. You feel worrisome. You feel like, man, there's got to be something more. It's because God has placed that knowledge of eternity in your heart. And until you, you, you come to terms and until you've been, you've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, you have no peace with God. But Paul says, because we've been justified, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. I remember when I first got saved, the thing that, that, that got my attention, right? Someone was praying with me. The lady was talking and talking for like five minutes. And I don't know, I don't remember anything else she, she said. But what I do remember is her saying, God can forgive you of everything you've ever done. And I was like, oh, that kind of woke me up. I'm like, what? What did you just say? That God can forgive you of everything you've ever done. At that moment, I recognized I had no peace with God. I'm like, man, I burned all these bridges, burned people, right? People who still prior to this day, if they see me, they hate me. But when she said, man, God can forgive you of everything you've ever done, I recognized, man, I have no peace with God. But if God can forgive me and I can have peace with God, man, that's all that really matters. That's what Paul is saying. Because we've been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have not just peace, not just justification, but he says, access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and rejoice in hope. That is the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, he's like, wait, there's more. He says, not only that, but he says, but also, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character. And character, hope. And he says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so Paul is just like unwrapping this beautiful gift. You've been justified by faith. That's the bow. He opens it up. But wait, now as he takes a wrapper off, he's like, look, now you have peace with God. As he's opening up the box, he says, because of this peace of God, now peace with God, now we have access by faith into this grace. He says, and not only that, as he's taking out, he says, look, now we rejoice in hope. As that is the hope of the glory of God. And he's just presenting it before the whole world. He says, and not only that, he says, but we also glory in tribulations. That's something that the world does not have. And everything goes down the drain for you as a Christian. And we glory in tribulations. Why? Because we know that God is on the throne. Because we know that God is sovereign. Because we know that God has control over our lives and our situations. Because we know that nothing takes God by surprise. Kid got sick, your mom is or something, this, whatever. You put that, that tragic thing, you fill in the blank. Right? Paul says, hey, we glory in tribulations. We glory in those trials. We glory in those, in those hard times. Why? He says, because we know that because we belong to God, because we're, we're standing in His grace. I've said before, man, I love to look at God's grace as that coffee filter, right? Man, we're, at, we're the cup and God's, and all these trials and things that we go through through in this life, they first go through the filter and right, you close the lid and everything's going through the filter and where you get at the end is in your cup. And that's us. We're that cup. We're that, you know, this is our lives. And whatever God allows to come into our lives first passes through the filter of His love, His grace, His mercy, His long-suffering for you. And so Paul could say, man, we glory in tribulations because we know that God allowed those things 
So why? Because tribulations produce perseverance. He says, and perseverance produce character. He says, and character produces in us hope. And he says, and now the hope, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So Paul says, man, God is in control of everything. He would say later on in Romans chapter 8, he says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. He would want to say, so that he could conform us into the image of his son. And that's what it's all about. Things happen in your life, whether good or bad, especially the bad. Paul says they produce perseverance, which in turn produce uh, character, which in turn produces hope. Because in that we get to see the love of God poured out in our lives through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts as He's just drawing us closer to the Lord through these trials, through these tribulations, through all these things that happen in our lives. And Paul saying, man, this is the good news. This is the good news. And then he says this in verse 6 through 11, and I'll finish with this. He says, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Notice that one. For when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't say, for man, when we're doing good and we're victorious and we're, we were strong, we're, we were, you know, we weren't acting up and we just had a good streak of just doing good things. Christ came and he says, all right, you've been doing good, I'm going to die for you. No, he says, for when we were without strength, meaning we had nothing to offer, we had nothing to give. Because when we were without strength, in due time, in God's timing, he says, Christ died for the ungodly. He says, for rarely or for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for even a good man someone would even dare to die says but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet still sinners Christ died for us so Paul says man look he says with God's economy is different he says if there was he says no one would die for an unrighteous man right I wouldn't give my life for anybody who's out there committing all these crimes breaking into these stores uh going into homes, stealing, raping kids. and I wouldn't give my life for any one of these people. But Paul says, look, no, no one would, would do that, right? It's, it's contrary to your own nature. No one would give, you wouldn't trade your life for someone who doesn't deserve it. And he says, and even if it was a good person, he says, one would rarely, he says, not, he says, I don't think so. He says, I don't think anyone would even give their life for a good person. All right, if I knew that this person over there has the cure to cancer, it could save many people, I still wouldn't give my life for them. Right? Because I value my own life. And you wouldn't give your child's life, your family member's life for that person, even if they were a righteous person. You wouldn't do that. And so Paul says, but God's not like that. He says, God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act and get it all together and you know, clean up and say, all right, God, here I am. That's the mentality we all have. Or a lot of us have. I got to get right first and then I'll go to church, right? I got to stop doing this, stop doing that, then I'll show up and then, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Man, I hate to break it to you, but we're all hypocrites. That's what church is. It's a hospital. We're all broken, dude. We're all needy. But Paul says, look, he says, Christ died for us while, while we were yet still in sin. And then he says this. He says, much more than Having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then much more now, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the 
reconciliation. He says, man, he says, Paul's saying, look, it gets better. It gets better. So now we've been justified by his blood. And because we've been justified from his blood, he says, we're going to be saved from the wrath to come. That is the end time events. And we went through the book of Revelation not too long ago. Study all the things that are going to come upon the earth in these last days. And the Bible says that God didn't create us for wrath. Meaning that as children of God, we're not going to experience those, the wrath of God poured out on an unbelieving world. He's going to save us from those things. Right? He'll take us up before all that stuff happens. And he says, for yet when we're enemies for, uh, of God, he came and he, and he saved us. He says, so much more now that we've been reconciled. Man, he's going to save us from, all, from these things. Right? He says, and we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Again, Paul says, it's not about works. It's not about the law. It's not about circumcision. It's not about anything that you can do. He says, Abraham was saved by faith. David was saved by faith. I'm saved by faith. You're saved by faith. We're all saved by faith apart from anything that we can do for God, whether good or bad, whether righteous or unrighteous. He says, hey, it's all about faith. That faith in Jesus Christ. Now he's going to point for the rest of the book of, of Romans. He's going to point now to these, these the, it's like the never-ending free gift of God in Jesus Christ. And now he's going to uh, talk about life in Christ and, the, and, 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 and being free from the law, being free from the guilt and the shame that we're held to because we're in bondage to this law, the, the law of our hearts. It's like, man, it just gets better. Amen? Amen. Went right there. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word, Lord, and I thank you.